The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I, Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis and CEO of Empirical Wealth Management, am sitting with co-host Ethan Broga this afternoon on this, this somewhat cloudy afternoon in Seattle, Washington, where we are broadcasting live today on this lovely April 17th. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Thanks for uh, joining the program. As usual, your contribution is uh, invaluable. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas. We want to help you make smarter financial decisions, and not just now, but hopefully build a uh, framework for you to do that over the course of your lifetime. That's what becoming an empirical investor is all about. Ethan, uh, we are going to talk about, uh, continue our discussion today. I know a little bit about the investment um, concepts uh, presentation that we've been doing. Yeah. Implementing some investment concepts that mm-hmm. I think will make you better investors. And uh, before we got deep into that, I thought we could uh, highlight a couple of articles that our research director, Eric, had forwarded to me. Um, and before we do all of that, um, on this uh, recent conclusion to our ta- the tax deadline here, right. why don't you give out uh, give a little information about how we can help our listeners? Sure. And uh, how they can go ahead and get a hold of us. Yeah, so two things. First, uh, if you'd like to join the program today, you can give us a call here at 866. Go ahead and give us a buzz. 472-5790. Or you can reach us at contact at empiradio.com. Uh, radio. If you're looking for uh, perhaps a second opinion on your portfolio, uh, you can give us a call here directly at the at the office and ask to speak with Ken or Ethan. And there we can be reached at 206-923-3474. And uh, we just go through the steps of evaluating your portfolio, seeing how diversified it is, what asset classes you actually have in the portfolio, uh, take an evaluation of the, the cost of the investments that you have, and come up with some, uh, some feedback for you just to, to consider. Uh, if you're looking for something a little more in-depth, perhaps you're looking toward retirement and would like to develop a comprehensive retirement plan, one that includes the integration of taxes, investments, and cash flow planning. We would also love to walk you through that. We have a, an excellent um, process for that. And we did enjoy walking you through it. So give us a call at 206-923-3474. Great, Ethan. I really appreciate it is great. that. Um, I will say that. that. super fantastic. <laughs> um, well, do you want to um, cover what happened in the market today? And uh, do a quick weekly run through the key asset classes 
All right. And then we'll, uh, if, if Simon could cue us up, we're going to head on down to the uh, floor. I don't know, Simon, do you have that? My uh, table's a little wampus here on this that we're working from, but uh, good, good. We're on down there. Uh, go ahead, Ethan. Wow, well, just looking at the, the year-to-date performance, most of the asset classes are are fairly close to flat. Um, yeah, pretty flat this we'll, year. So we'll walk through a, a couple of them. The Dow is down actually 1%, uh, well, 1.01. S&P is uh, positive 0.89%. And uh, large cap value is beating large cap growth, uh, 1.95% versus 0.15%. So that's interesting. Uh, small caps have not done very well so far this year. Looking at small cap growth, uh, down 3.76%. Small cap value, negative 0.40%. And then micro cap down 1.85%. And these are all domestic asset classes. Uh, moving on to international, um, interesting mix there as well. Large cap blend, negative. Blend. Wow, it's the bear. It's a bear, I'll say. Uh, <laughs> large cap blend, negative 0.46%, so pretty close to flat. Large cap international value, positive 1.54. Now, is this. Hey, get away from me. Getting too close, getting too close. Uh, Did you say, what was that last one, Ethan? Large cap. Uh, international value. It's positive? Looks like one point. Is the bull raging? <laughs> I wouldn't call it a, a bull, more like a cow in this case. It's kind of not very exciting. What is exciting, though, is this. Uh, looking at, ahead to frontier markets. Are you sitting down, King? Because this is going to blow your mind. Positive 13% for the year in the frontier markets. Wow, that is a raging bull. That's uh, a relatively new asset class. We've, we've started to include some of the portfolios just in the last, I don't know, six to nine months, something like that. So it is by far and away the leader year to date, 13.16%. Emerging markets up 1% as well. And then also REITs are up 7.58%. Oh, nice. So that's the year to date. Uh, over the one year, still very good across the board in terms of stock prices, uh, ranging from uh, a low on REITs of about 1.3% for the last one year to a positive 30%, 30.98% for the frontier markets, again, leading the charge. Oh, no, I, I mislooked that. Uh, microcap stocks, 32.89% for the last one year through the 17th, looks like. The uh, microcaps being the most for the year, it looks like, on these general indices that we're tracking. Here. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty good. That yeah, really good. Good stuff. I mean, yeah, year to date, we're not we're not uh, hopping too too much here, but um, not bad after after the after the, the twelve month returns we've had. Yeah, I would agree with that. Year. I would agree with that. Uh, okay, Ethan, what else you got? A little bit on the bond side here. Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look at that. You got the five year Treasury uh, this week yielding a whopping. Is that 1.73%, Ken? Is that that's right? correct, though. Wow. That's uh, still very little. Ten-year uh, treasury yielding 2.72%. That's chicken feed. <laughs> it's pretty little, no doubt about it. Um, Five-year municipal bond, 1.18%. Ten-year municipal bond, 2.35%. Uh, so nothing very exciting there on the bonds. And uh, in terms of differences over last year, uh, some, some moderate differences. Looking at the five-year treasury again, uh, a difference of over last year of about one percent. Last year, this time, it was yielding 0.70 uh, percent. Again, the ten-year Treasury last year 1.69, so a difference of about one percent uh, relative to uh, 
<laughs> Who's got the flies and hence water here? What's going on? <laughs> oh, good stuff. Just not a lot happening in the in the bond market. Yeah, not very exciting. Not very exciting. Any comments on the bond scan that you want to discuss? Um, not too much. I mean, you've uh, same same situation here. Um, trying to predict when and how rates are going back up is a very tricky situation. There, uh, we've been looking at lots of different research on structuring the portfolio uh, in a way where you know if you'd sat in cash entirely in three-month treasuries, yeah, uh, three-month T-bills. If you had done that for the last couple of years, you would have. <clears throat> You wouldn't. You wouldn't be any better off than if you ha- if you had taken uh, a well balanced approach to the fixed income piece of your portfolio. Um, you know, and when things are this low, even even a, a half a percent more is is a substantial increase over what you're getting in cash. Sure. So, um, you know, my advice continues to be then structure a a um, a laddered or um, Variety. It could be a barbell type of portfolio. There's different ways of structuring this. We use uh, and connected with some guys that are using some pretty sophisticated uh, mathematical tools to map this out. And so, uh, what you don't want to do is is get too crazy buying uh, risky or very. Um, you know, I was speaking with an investor the other day, and they were buying individual bonds <coughs> issues. Based on their yields, and, the, and my concern on that sometimes is that you wind up purchasing a small number of higher yielding or junk bonds. Sure. Um, and a lot of times, particularly if it's we're not right in the middle of a crisis, we discount the likelihood of any one of those issuers defaulting um, and the pain that would go along with that mm-hmm. to get that little bit of extra yield. And there are some other things you can do in that category to stay diversified. Uh, and I think there are good ways of picking off high-quality parts of the bond market and maybe using individual securities there and complementing that to get some of the higher yielding with diversified funds. And so um, some of the bank loan funds are interesting, but you need to be very careful in understanding how they're working. Um, and I... Uh, I would suggest when you're buying the higher yielding components of the corporate area, you do use diversified ETFs or, uh, or possible I, I like index type of passive sure. funds mm-hmm. to capture that. The other uh, question or concern that came up in this meeting, uh, in this discussion with the investor, was simply about if I buy a, a bond mutual fund, that's bad because when rates go up, I lose money. Um, and I think there's a lot of misinformation being put out by different agendas, people with different agendas out in the business. Um, it's not entirely or necessarily true. Um, and sometimes you have to weigh out all the different costs versus benefits of one approach versus another. And if I was making a choice of putting all my money in one junk bond, as an example, because I thought bond funds were bad, rather than buying an index bond fund that... Uh, diversifies across the higher yielding sector of the market. I think that's a trade-off. Some of the potential um, negatives of owning a bond mutual fund, for example, would be outweighed by the diversification benefit or the risk of owning that stock. It's just one example, Ethan, that that all of that should be Mm -hmm. put into perspective. And when you're making those considerations, um, and that's about all I have to say about that right now. 
All right, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we've got a couple minutes. Um, you know, one of the, real quick in, the, in these last few, one of the articles that Eric is writing, uh, there's a, a very, um, a book by a guy named Michael Lewis. He's written uh, a variety of Wall Street-oriented book. He wrote, his first book was called Liar's Poker. I don't know if you remember that one, Ethan. I've read it. Really interesting book mm-hmm. um, about his experience with one of the major wirehouse uh, firms when he was getting into the business himself. And he's written a, a, a few books now, and the recent one is called Flash Boys, <clears throat> A Wall Street Revolt, and its assertion that markets are rigged. Um, <laughs> that markets are rigged. And so he talks a lot about high-frequency traders, and he had some big, pretty big people also coming out, Chuck Schwab himself, saying this idea, these high-frequency traders are a can- cancer in the market. And... Um, what we're trying to do with this article that, that Eric's putting together is just sort out what what's reality and what's hype, you know, for selling books. Um, certainly, uh, if you're writing a book that says the markets, stock markets are rigged, you're going to get a lot more interest in it, a little more buzz. We're talking. Probably. Um, but in reality, what we like to do, particularly for our clients, is to put those things into perspective is there some reality there and what does it practically mean that someone should do should they not be invested in the market because somebody wrote a book about this and called it the markets are rigged and and without reading verbatim the whole article Ethan the the general concept between these high frequency trader traders are there groups that have very highly sophisticated uh, mathematic algorithms to codify rules so they can uh, trade uh, with very powerful computing systems that are cl- placed very closely in large, a lot of cases to the exchanges where those computers are centralized. And in essence, what they're trying to do, what these high-frequency traders are trying to do, is determine uh, if they can find out if, if a large block uh, of stock is going to be traded and if they can get it ahead of that, that block. And uh, the hmm. analogy that Eric gives... Um, is using a ten dollars stock that that has a, a a buy price of ten dollars and one penny, and if you were going to sell it at the bid price of uh, ten dollars, and we're going to have to take a quick break, but maybe we'll come back. I'll I'll summarize this, Ethan, and okay. then we'll continue through because I think it's it's good to not get scared when you see these kinds of things until you understand what's really going on. So let's take a quick break here on Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be back momentarily. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back, Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside uh, Ken Smith. Welcome to the segment, second segment of today's program. And Ken, I think we're just about to take a uh, deep dive into high-frequency trading. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know how deep this dive is going to be, but uh, I wanted to share some of the insights that uh, we put together on this issue. And um, I'm trying to summarize a, a multi-page article here, but we were talking about Michael Luce. He wrote this book, uh, Flash Boys. And um, I, I think I even saw him on CNBC with another guy, and they were talking about the markets being rigged. He also wrote a, a paper, I think, that appeared, um, a piece that appeared in the New York Times, I think it was. Yeah, he was also on 60 Minutes two weeks ago. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, it is controversial. No question. And like I said, you had Charles Schwab himself getting on saying this this, this whole issue is a cancer. Um, but I was saying these guys are using these very complicated algorithms and very high-powered trading systems um, to get an edge on uh, trading. And basically what Eric outlines here is what they're trying to do is if there was an uh, example of, say, stocks trading at, at 10 between 10 and $10 and a penny, mm-hmm. on a large block came in, somebody was going to buy, um, say a mutual fund was going to buy 10 or 20,000 shares of a stock um, or bigger, you know, maybe it's a huge block. These guys will look for the opportunity to find that, see that that trade is coming before it gets executed mm-hmm. and they'll quickly start buying up shares and, They'll say that the current the price was at the 1001 on the ask. Very tight spread there, but they might be able to pick up some of this and drive the price uh, turn around, and they'll buy it for 1001 and turn around and sell it to the institution trying to buy this um, block for 1002 or 1003, mm-hmm. um, and making the profit in between. So, you've always got brokers who uh, are matching traders out in the market you have these market makers on the like the nasdaq that actually take an inventory in a particular stock they purchase it and then they resell it and they want to do that very rapidly uh and they're taking that price in between but a lot of the additional trading and market makers um over the years have created an enormous amount of liquidity and actually have driven those spreads together very tightly so that the buy and sell price is pretty narrow 
mm-hmm. um, which is generally better for smaller investors. Yeah, sure. You know, if we're if you know the bigger blocks, those guys may be able to negotiate the past. But now you and I could go log into our account and purchase a particular stock, uh, particularly if it's a widely traded stock, and then turn around and sell it. And so one of the points that Eric was saying is, well, the, the brokerage guys, the guys out there that are that are placing these larger uh, blocks, they're not happy, um, partially because because um, if you are a market maker and, and all this trading has squeezed those spreads down, there's less money for you to make in between. That's true. So if you're a brokerage company and you're, part of your business comes from that market making, um, yeah, yeah, you're not happy about anything that that would potentially reduce those costs. So that could be one agenda um, for you know the brokerage group people in that business that they're they're trying to shut down this high high frequency trading. Now it 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 is the part that disturbed me the most, Ethan, about this is that these high frequency traders are able to um, negotiate get a, a pay. Um, the exchanges for information on the trades that are coming. Um, so the most serious complaint leveled against hyperlinks is that they are front runners, meaning they step in front of other traders to earn profits on market movers to determine uh, to the detriment of the buyers and, and sellers. Um, and so one idea is you can put in a market order for a security and you just get it at whatever the best available price is. Mm-hmm. One way of protecting um, yourself would be to put limit orders in. And if you put a limit order in in the market, you fix the price at which you're willing to pay. You risk, all, however, that you may not get all the shares you want if, if market forces drive that stock up. Right. But if those forces were entirely, for example, high-frequency traders, they'd have a hard time exploiting you if you had put a fixed price in. Because generally, they don't want to sit there and hold the stock for a long period of time. They want to get in front of that trade that's on its way through. Yeah. Um, but the part I thought was a little bit um, interesting about how this how this can happen is... Um, the, the HFs are able to, it's the method in which they are able to identify and act on these large block orders before other market participants. Yeah. Aside from the tremendous speed uh, advantage through the information transferring capability, so the, the systems that they're using have much faster um, communication. Mm-hmm. Um, many of these firms have contracts with the stock exchanges that allow them to purchase order information before it is released to the public. And it's this informational discrepancy that lets these high-frequency tr- high traders analyze and act on these large orders um, before the orders are even made available to the public. Huh. So right now, apparently, this is not illegal. It blows my mind a little bit. Why would they allow that to occur? Well, I think sometimes these things evolve so rapidly mm-hmm. um, that the, regula- the, the industry, the regulations don't always stay... Yeah, with them. Sure. And I think it's when things get brought out into the light like this that, you know, a very easy solution. There are several that could be implemented. Right. Um, and I have confidence at some point some of these things will. I mean, sure. it doesn't seem, it seems to counter the idea of having a fair and efficient and confident, having confidence in markets. If someone can get an informational advantage or buy that advantage, 
And really, that's why we 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 there's rules against insider trading mm-hmm. um, because you're creating an informational advantage, and it it really breaks down confidence in the market system. Right. So that is the biggest issue here. But to say that the markets are rigged, because if you if we step back and look at what's really happening, these guys are getting in front of these trades to earn a couple of pennies per share. But they're not when I when you see headlines like the markets are rigged, what 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 the connotation may be for the average investor is, geez, oh. I, I shouldn't even be investing. I'm just gonna get ripped off. I'm gonna get screwed or you know, the, these aren't even real stocks. I mean yeah. Um, or there's no way for me to earn a, a decent return. And that's not true, as Eric points out. Most of these guys where they're getting the opportunity and the people who are complaining the loudest are the are the bigger, bigger um, the traders don't want to see spreads narrow from all this additional trading. The market maker guys, they don't want to see that. Sure. And then if you are a, if there are lots of different ways and he outlines of, of for those institutions putting through larger trades, or for the average person putting trades in, um, they're not, you know, nobody is going to put the put the resources in for Ethan to go in and buy 100 shares of Facebook because he's on it 24-7. Right. You know, posting constantly and liking things and friending everyone. Um, right. It's the constant posting with this guy. Um, <laughs> but, you know what I mean? You're going to put your 100 shares in there. Nobody's front-running you. Um, to get ahead of that, so they can earn a, a penny on that hundred shares. It's just not. It's not happening. No, so the right. scale at which this affects the average person in the market, uh, any negative effect is partially offset by the increased liquidity. The fact that those spreads have come down. Um, there's been no empirical studies to date yet that that I'm aware of that have studied the the uh, cost of high frequency trading to the to the average right. market participant. Mm-hmm. Relative to the savings of um, the increased liquidity, the potential would be, I think, also for folks who aren't using individual stocks, which is probably and a lot of people, if they're using funds of some kind. You know, if you own, say, a Vanguard fund, right, and, and Vanguard says, "Well, we got to buy the stock to be part of uh, the index or whatever," they're going to put a lot, of, uh, put a trade through that's pretty sizable because they've obviously brought a lot of people, pulled people's money together in the mutual fund. Something that could that could be a potential thing there, I think, relative to being an individual investor. What do you think of that? Um, yeah. You're saying it's a good thing? or No, I'm just saying that, I'm saying that uh, there could be a market impact there to investors. I mean, it, it would still be small, I'm guessing, uh, because, well, A, most, most of the trading that goes on throughout the day isn't, isn't through you or me, right, or individuals. It's mostly institutions, right? Yeah, well, a lot those, of it is now is being done by these large funds or institutional groups right. in terms of significant volume. Right. So if you're, you're, you're let's say you're, uh, you're, you're a mutual fund manager and you have billions of dollars under assets uh, under management, and you got to buy a stock, or you want to buy a stock for a particular day, not for yourself, but for all the shareholders, you're putting through a pretty large trade for that, and that could potentially, I guess, in terms of the negatively impacting the shareholders, right? That could be something. Yeah, if these right? guys were going to try to take advantage of someone, and you mentioned Vanguard, for example, I mean they have one of the largest uh, S&P 500 index yeah. funds, right? Right. So if a stock does get thrown out of that index. Who's who's placing the biggest trade on that particular stock? Yeah, the biggest right? fund, it's right? Gonna, yeah, Vanguard's going to be having to place a place a huge trade. Now that is one potential downfall of having a large a fund that has larger and larger assets, uh, particularly if as they get into less and less liquid securities. Yeah, they have harder and harder times 
getting you the exposure to those securities without the market impact issues that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But as far as that, these guys go, uh, a lot of the fund companies, and I've had the opportunity to visit some of the trading floors and some of the fund companies that we use, and they're not just blindly throwing in, oh, let's go ahead and put this 100,000 share block in on, on you know Microsoft stock, right? and we'll hope for the best. They're pretty astute about how they're getting those trades entered in a way that skirts some of the ability of these guys or you know stops some of these guys from taking advantage of them that way um limit orders is one example that eric talks about there's things called blind pools where you can work those orders in slowly over time if you have some flexibility it's another thing we've talked about in in terms of having to blindly follow an index versus more enhanced indexing type you have a fund that doesn't have those um, issues. We've got to take another break, though, Ethan. Let's okay. take a quick breather, and um, we'll come right back here on Empirical Investing. And if you want to jo- join in, call us at 866-472-5790. That's here uh, live at uh, on the Empirical Investing Radio Show. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your hosts are Ethan Broga alongside Ken Smith. We are entering our third segment of the show today, and just uh, I think we're going to be continuing our conversation on the uh, high-frequency trading phenomenon in an article that uh, our research analyst, uh, Eric Lear, or director of research, wrote here recently. Go ahead, Ken. What were we uh, 
Oh, we were just thinking, uh, I guess we were kind of wrapping this up that uh, the main points, you know, is explaining what what is what are these high frequency traders? How do they operate? Yep. What are they trying to accomplish? Um, so I think we've set that parameters. They're trying to get in front of traders that are people that are trying to buy or sell large blocks. They're trying to get in front to earn a few pennies. Um, part of this uh, trading has the the number and size of trading has reduced the actual cost in terms of the buy and sell price, the bid and the ask. Um, so some of the potential negative is could be offset by the fact that we have a more liquid market mm-hmm. was one of the issues. And what are the alternatives or what, you know, let's getting, getting to what you should do as the average person. We highly recommend mutual funds, um, to our, our you know, the clients because of the diversification that they offer, and mm-hmm. particularly if you focus on funds that do carry the right types of expenses, lower expenses, no load mutual funds um, in isolation. We don't buy any kind of loaded funds or funds that carry 12B1 fees or any of that kind of nonsense. Right. Um, but the benefits of being diversified and participating in the enormous... Um, enormous growth potential that equity markets offer far outweigh some of the hiccups that we have can will continue to have i mean that the nature of our system is people are going to look for inefficiencies and 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 look for ways that they can get profit by those up until the point where they they can't and um in a way that makes our system more um more efficient but there are there are times where there are clearly problems um, or there needs to be regulation. And what one of those we said was insider trading. It's not fair for people inside of a particular publicly traded company to use that information to advantage themselves personally at the cost of other market participants. We have made decisions along the way of what is fair play in the market system, and it's really about maintaining that confidence in that order so in this case it's my view that i hope they do put some simple solutions in here and there are a a lot like a lot of them that would be very easy to solve this problem and one would just be the way that information gets disseminated they shouldn't allow high frequency traders to to uh, contract with the market makers or uh, Traders to get that information ahead of everyone. Sure, else. that that should be a easy, easy, easy way to stop or eliminate some of this. And and there's still other ways they're going to use sophisticated systems to determine whether people are putting money into the market. But there are some ways that that can be um, handled again in the way that the trades are put in by the purchaser or seller. And like I said, for the average person, I think the cost here is, is so small, it's not uh, worthy of the headlines and the press that this has gotten, although I hope that does get it resolved, To if, for the average person to do anything significantly differently about how they're investing is my point. Right. I, would, I wouldn't give up <laughs> investing in the stock and bond markets over this particular issue. Um, it would have been a lot of other issues. If I was going to do that, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be this one, right? Um, so, I don't know if you have any concluding comments, we'll we'll have this article posted on Empirical.net uh, shortly, and you can read the full 
full article about it with our position, but I think there's a lot more hype than there is uh, meat in this topic. Okay. Fair enough. Uh Uh-huh. What do you think? I think that sounds good. Okay. I'm glad you think so. (laughs) It sounds like we're getting some of this here, but... uh, No. Yeah. No, I saw the article. I saw the news uh, program on 60 Minutes, and, you know, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that once it exposed, it'll, there should be a, a good way to address the issues that do exist. But wouldn't stop people from investing, so yeah. I don't know how, what you do differently. Hey, so, but, you know, the um, this guy, Jim Parker, who oh. writes articles for Dimensional a mutual fund company. Yeah. Um, sometimes he puts some pretty good stuff together, and uh, he says he wrote an article here um, recently: seven ways to fool yourself. The philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein once said that nothing is as difficult for people as not deceiving themselves. But while most self delusions are relatively costless, you know, like how you think you're incredibly good looking. <laughs> And funny. <laughs> Should be funny. You know what I mean? That helps get you through the day. Uh, <laughs> those relating to investments can come at a very hefty price tag. And so he says, uh, I don't know, do you want me to breeze through a little bit? Let's of this? do it. You know, we delude ourselves for a number of reasons, but one of the principal causes is a need to protect our own egos. Hey, that's what I was just saying. <laughs> so we look for external evidence that supports the myths we hold about ourselves, and we dismiss those facts that are incompatible. You know, like when I say you're not so good looking. Right. I wouldn't, you probably I wouldn't even believe you. say, hey, this guy, Ken, is an idiot. <laughs> Psychologists call this the confirmation bias, a tendency to select facts that suit our own in- internal beliefs. You know, a related ingrained tendency known as the hindsight bias involves seeing everything as obvious and predictable, but only after the fact. These biases are ways of protecting our egos from reality are evident among <clears throat> investors every day and are often encouraged encouraged by the media. Here are seven common manifestations of how investors fool themselves. Numero uno, <laughs> everyone could see that market crash coming. That was a quote. Have you noticed how people become experts after the fact? If everyone could see the correction coming, why wasn't everyone profiting from it? You don't need forecasts. Number two, Quote, I only invest in blue chip companies. People often gravitate to the familiar and to shares that they see as solid. But a company's profile and whether or not it is a good investment are not necessarily related or correlated. Better to diversify is Jimmy's advice. It's good advice. Number three here, I'm waiting for certainty, is a quote. Uh, the emotions triggered by the volatility are understandable, but acting on those emotions can be counterproductive even. Yeah. Uncertainty goes with investing. Historically, long-term discipline has been rewarded. Yeah, that one cracks me up a little bit. another one from Jimmy Pop here. There's never, I mean, if you're investing in stocks, I mean, there's no certainty, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I hear more like I'm waiting for things to calm down. Or, or clear up. Or, things to yeah. Clear, yeah. Um, you could put a lot of different words in there, but it's usually I'm waiting for, and then you kind of feel in the blanks. Right. And really what they're waiting for is uh, a more crowd-appropriate or a more um, fashionable time, I think would be the way I would present that work. And what I mean by that is that if you're at a party and you told someone you just bought it in the market, they're not going, what are you, crazy? Yeah, right. At these levels? Um, 
I think that's the bar that a lot of us say, I don't want to be humiliated because I'm the only one still on the market. Yeah. I would say yes. when, when things look appear certain, that would be the time not to invest. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you're at 1999, near the, t- the, the top of the tech bubble, things look like this is going to go on forever at that point. There's a bit of euphoria around, as I recall. Um, that would be certainty. At least you would feel certain, but it actually wouldn't be because you know what happened next year, right? Yeah. Not a good time. Not good. Not good. Well, uh, number four, quote, I know about this industry, so I'm going to buy the stock, end quote. People often assume that success in investment requires a specialist knowledge of a sector, but that information is usually already in the price. A better approach would be to trust the market instead. A lot of people who say trust the market... I don't know, Ethan. You were just reading about those high-frequency traders out there <laughs> trying to get you know screw yeah. us. Uh, when I hear people, and I, I obviously meet lots of folks o- over the years, and uh, some of them respond or uh, say this, and I, I typically ask them, "Well, how many how many other people do you think is aware of the same information?" And typically, the answer is, "Well, virtually anybody who's watching the market or the part of the market that they're they're watching knows this." That means that the, the current price of whatever you're looking at reflects all the available information already. So there really isn't any information advantage uh, by being, you know, in on a particular part of the market. Yeah, I think, you know, even when <clears throat> I've worked for companies that are publicly traded com- companies, and um, I know certainly I felt like I had a better insight as to where the company was going. But I, but I don't know that that translated into better stock decisions for that company, sure. I, I wasn't. I personally wasn't able to profit, um, you know, because hey, geez, I know what's coming down the pike here. We're cutting this, or we're increasing that. Or um, by the time usually it gets to most employees in the company, yep. the market has it priced in. Beyond that, you're you're dealing with illegal information, as we talked about, yeah, Martha Stewart style. If you know what I mean? I think I do. Um, not not to say I, I mean I like Martha Stewart and uh, so does Simon he he subscribes to all her stuff but she did get into some trouble because she was trading on illegal uh, insider information in the past right numero five here Cinco it was still a quote it was still a good call but no one saw this coming <laughs> isn't that the point you can rationalize a stock specific bet as much as you like, but events or external influences can conspire against you. Spread your risk instead. Yeah, you never can see it coming, right? That's the point. The, the, the future is uncertain, so that's the idea. That's true. Um, number six, quote, I'm going to restrict my portfolio to the strongest economies, end quote. Jimmy says, if an economy performs strongly, that will no doubt be reflected in the stock prices. What moves prices is news, and news relates to the unexpected, so work with the market. So I I think that's a very common issue we deal with is negative news about a particular anything and then wanting to take action after the fact, Um, and and that's a tough one because the market is so good at, at incorporating that that currently known information. Hey, we've got one more here in this article. We're going to take one last break. We'll finish this up and maybe delve in a little more into our investment discussion from last week. Okay. Let's do so. We'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. We're just going over an article by Jim Parker from DFA. That's Jimmy Pop. <laughs> exactly. And uh, he had a, a nice list of, uh, of things we're going over, and we're on number six or seven, which I, I don't know. It recall. was number seven. It was the article he wrote was Seven Ways to Fool Yourself. Oh, that's right. Seven Ways to Fool and, Yourself. And um, he's touching on some of the behavioral finance issues that we have, the psychological stuff that we deal with. And number seven on his list was uh, that investors, these are, I guess, investor quotes, uh, quote, okay, it was a bad idea, but listen, Ethan, I don't want to sell at a loss. No one likes that. End quote. He says, hey, we can put too much faith in individual stocks, and holding on to a losing bet can mean missing opportunities elsewhere. Portfolio structure affects the performance. So, I don't know if you want to comment on that. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever experienced that comment or discussion? I'm oh, sure, both. I mean, you, yeah. two sides of that coin. Hey, it's... It's gone, gone up so much, I don't want to sell now. Why would I do that? It's the best thing in my portfolio. Yeah, I was going to say, this is seven lists. We could create one. A million uh, of these things. And at least a hundred, <laughs> I, I think, that I I've exaggerate. experienced. Yeah. Um, when ultimately the best thing to do, we, you know, there's a solution to all of these, but they're, yeah. they're very common. And, and again, I was meeting with someone the other day, um, and they were talking about uh, particular sectors and 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 stocks and um well i don't like this one i like this one but this is not a good time and and 
Um, part of the reason that we were meeting this person is because they had lost a substantial amount of money. Their decisions that they'd been making hadn't been working out very mm-hmm. well. Um, but I think these emotional feelings and intuitions are very hard to fight. Um, and whether the stock goes up, down, sideways, or in circles, uh, I don't care if you're Warren Buffett or Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> you really don't know where it's going to go. Least of all, not, 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 not uh, brokers. <laughs> um, right. But you don't know. Reference I, to the uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, and, and, but he's true. It's just a great part of it. I mean, it's one of my favorite parts of me because it's so true yeah. that nobody knows where that stock is headed. Um, and the real important thing is where it's headed relative to the rest of the stock market. Yeah. So a lot of times people go, oh, well, it came back up. Yeah, but the, in order for it to get back to where it was, it went up 20%. But you're forgetting the market went up 30%. So, did you really accomplish anything? You took on a lot more risk. A lot more risk. Um, right? Worse return. And most of us don't want to look at the bigger picture if it's more important to our egos to be right. Definitely right. Definitely right. That's a huge thing. Exactly. Than it is to, to deal with. If you acknowledge you made a mistake, yeah. you must change the way you do things. And that's a big, 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 can be a big problem, you know, big hurdle to overcome. Uh, the self introspection that goes into that decision can be uncomfortable at times, I'm sure. So I think you, the best thing to do at, at any point in time, and I've said this all, a lot, is it's never a bad time to take a prudent investment approach or a prudent approach to the way that you're running your financial situation. Um, and I base that on years of experience and firsthand knowledge and witnessing um, different paths of investors, and those who are are incredibly disciplined and structured in the, w- the way that they run their portfolios, the way that they adhere. And, you know, this other person said, "Hey, I, I don't want to hear about diversification or these cookie cutter allocation ideas." And um, but they were they were deep into all of this these self denial issues mm-hmm. or self deception issues that. It, we'd love to all think that we could outsmart the entire market. Um, we could predict the future. Uh, if we could do that, that would be great. But if we're allowing ourselves to believe that in spite of the overwhelming evidence that we have, that that's a very uh, difficult, if not impossible thing to do, that even when, when people do make these huge bets and do very well, uh, there is a certain amount of luck in the marketplace, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I wish it was wasn't that way. But the, the fact of it is, is you can be lucky and wind up making a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but I think for for most people, if we're talking about a lifetime of building up a, a savings, you know, you want to take the most prudent and and uh, sound, I guess, you know, approach to it. And it is unfortunately not always the most exciting approach it's not the that's true rich quick today approach yeah um but the compounding effect over years of discipline investing can be an enormous amount of wealth accumulation and certainly trading day trading and individual stocks can get you wealthy quickly but it can also run you into the ground very quickly financially Mm um so if you're not prepared to lose all that money, um, 
I wouldn't be engaging in any of those types of things. Well said. Well said. Well, Ethan, we've got a few minutes. Uh, last week we were talking about crystal ball investing and the difference between uh, you know, stock picking, market timing, um, indexing, and we talked about how an index attracts a particular sector of the market and does so in a very cost-effective way. Um, but we also talked about the fact, or we're leading into the fact, that, hey, there are a few... Well, there are a few things with uh, investing in indexes that could be improved upon. Yeah. And we kind of hit on it with this high-frequency trading issue earlier that, you know, sometimes they're forced to buy or sell stocks simply to keep on track with that index. Yeah, right. And they can be taken advantage of that way. And sometimes you, you lose. There are There is some loss uh, of capital there mm-hmm. if those trades, you know, don't. Um, pan out. And a lot of times they don't. This company gets announced; it's going to be put in the particular index. Yep. Uh, and then it the the market runs up and buys the stock before it gets put in. And then it, it drifts back down after the 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 funds have bought those stocks. Right. Going in or coming out. Um, there's a potential for that problem. Yep. And what those indexes are tracking, if if they are tracking, and and if you believe that they're um, returns are coming from different segments of the market. For example, you wanted to buy small company stocks. Well, whatever the fund is that you're buying, you'd want to make sure that they're getting the small company, the part of the small company stock group, that really captures the most of that return. And a lot of the traditional indexes have a hard time staying truly exposed to those small cap stocks. Right. Um, how you mix those different investment asset classes together um, is a very important de- determinant of how the return and risk of the portfolio would work. And so we put a lot of time and effort into discerning what is a reasonable way to take that uh, portfolio, an individual portfolio, and divide it among different areas of the markets. And so we won't have time to get deep into that. I would recommend that you contact us. Throughout the week, you can reach us at one eight hundred nine two three four three zero seven. You can email myself at ksmith at empirical dot net e m p i e m p i r i c a l. And if uh, if our spam filter is not uh, totally screwed up, it should get to me. Um, and yeah. even if you want to give out your email, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's uh, e broga e b r o g a at empirical dot net. Well, we'd love to talk to you. And again, we're not, as you can tell, we're not high sales, uh, high pressure sales guys. <laughs> we just want to help. If, if there's a way we can help get you on a better course, that would make me very happy mm-hmm. personally. So I think that's about all we have time for, Ethan. Do you have any uh, closing comments here? I don't. If you have any questions or, or like to get together, give us a call directly and we'd be happy to, to get together and talk things over with you one on one. Okay. Great. Well, thanks for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio. Visit us on the web, www.empirical.net. Thanks and have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,
from listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 